This speedcast is brought to you by AF1 Racing of Austin, Texas. The best Italian motorcycles and scooters. AF1RacingAustin.com Hey Speed City fans, time for another bike show. And I'm delighted to welcome once again on the show Steve Martin, my old mucker from World Superbikes down in Australia, in Melbourne, in fact. But no one could understand this even when we were commentating. So we've added Texas to it as well as Les Kaiser of Speed Cities here. Uh, Steve, uh, welcome to the show once again. Lots to talk about, but how's it going down under in Melbourne? Well, I spoke to you yesterday, Jonathan, and as you know, it was uh, sunny and uh, wonderful, but this is typical Melbourne, Australia weather. Um, I've had to move inside today because it's uh, pouring with rain out there, and uh, there's not even a kangaroo to be seen today because they're all um, in their little holes or wherever they go under trees. I think Les has brought his shotgun just in case, so no, no kangaroos in sight then. <laughs> No, he can put his shotgun away. He can, uh, yeah, he doesn't have to get that out just yet. Now, I know you're a superstar. I know you're a busy man. And so, therefore, I want to get straight to the punch. Uh, MotoGP, World Superbikes, Moto America, uh, the new R1. We've got a test on that. You can tell us and introduce that for us. Uh, I know Les has got some technical questions he wants to ask you. Um, but let's get straight down to the action. MotoGP, uh, we just had Jerez, as always, a fantastic event. Uh, but the, the real upshot, Valentino, 36 years old, 15-point lead. He's keeping the dream alive. Yeah, I mean, um, we're just a few rounds in and he's got a, a fantastic uh, lead already in the championship. Uh, it's uh, an amazing story. The story continues for Valentino Rossi, especially when I consider that he got rid of uh, Jeremy Burgess a couple of years ago now. To do what he's doing, it just shows the vigour uh, that he's still got and, and the drive that he's got. I mean, he's got all the money in the world, but uh, money means nothing to him. It's, it's all basically uh, that, that will to win is still there at 36. He did mention in some of the press releases his chief engineer nowadays, and I, I, I seem to remember that he was a guy that, that Melandri used to work with. Yeah, Silvano Galbarusa. And... Um, I mean, the way that that uh, came about, uh, if you remember when Valentino broke his leg back in 09, I think at uh, Magella, he broke his leg there. He had a month off. And when he came back, before he rode the, the MotoGP bike, he got onto one of the world superbike Yamahas, one of Melandri's Yamahas at the time. And um, Silvano was his crew chief at that point for that day, just on a, a casual hit out. And uh, he really hit it off with uh, Silvano. Um, and from that point, things turned sour with Jeremy Burgess. And uh, who else should you call? But uh, not the Ghostbusters, but Silvano. So Silvano's ended up traveling the world. And um, he's the man now. You know, what do you think about how the season's playing out right now? Some people say that uh, Marquez got his cage rattled and uh, shook up. But, you know, here he is right back in form again. Do you think that's going to stand for the rest of the season? It's going to be hard over the long run. The most talented guy out there at the moment is Marquez still. The others have pegged him back. And on their day, as we saw last weekend um, in Jerez, uh, guys like Lorenzo will, uh, you know, take it to them and, and blitz the field. But raw talent, Marquez has got more than anybody out there, more than anybody's seen in a long, long time. But the other guys have caught up now. Um, so, you know, it's not going to be a Marquez blitz this year. I mean, 
still the, the guy beating Marquez is Marquez. Uh, I mean, even the great result he had on the weekend at Haret was with a broken finger that he sustained. Um, you know, I mean, who else would have an operation and a plate put into a finger uh, and then less than seven days later finish, um, you know, on the podium in a MotoGP? Only he's the sort of guy that can do that. So I see him being a little chicken of Rossi nowadays after the bump in Argentina. What, uh, how do you see that? Do you think Rossi is further into his head, riding more aggressively and doing that bump? Well, Rossi's got his confidence fully back now. I mean, when he first got on the Yamaha, he thought, hey, I can get a podium, but I don't know if I can win. Uh, then the next year, he actually got a couple of wins. I mean, that iconic win at Mazzano, if you remember that, when Marquez fell off um, last year. I mean, uh, that brought it home that he could win. And then all through season testing, um, he's built that confidence back up to the point now where he's not thinking about his 36 and he's not wondering if he can win anymore. He's got the mindset now that he's a dead set championship chance like he always has been. So basically, that is uh, his mindset now. He knows that he's a contender. He's not just, you know, people aren't telling him that. In his head, he is a contender. So he, he's, you've got to watch out for him. Okay. I've got to ask you a question. We just mentioned Melandri, and I know we had a joke about it at the beginning of the season, pre-season, about Aprilia going back to MotoGP, but it's almost beyond a joke now. I mean, he's at the back every day, and here's a guy who's a world champion. And, and I mean, I feel for Marco because he's going to lose heart. We both know Marco pretty good, and he's not the kind of guy who's going to put up with a season of being at the back and, and basically getting it handed to him by the likes of Laverty, who was a real opponent of his in World Superbikes, and we love watching him race. Yeah, but not only that, I mean, he's being handed it by the whole field. I mean, did he finish last on the weekend? I mean, is the Aprilia there? I don't even know what it looks like. I haven't seen it on TV yet. But um, to be honest, I, I, you know, I don't know why Aprilia went there because, you know, they're getting such great results in World Superbikes with the bike they've got. And what they've basically done is taken that bike to MotoGP. Well, that ain't going to work because, you know, there's a massive difference between a MotoGP bike and a road bike, which is what the Aprilia that Marco Melandri is riding is. He didn't have a lot of choice. He was sort of like pushed out of World Superbikes where he was quite happy, you know, winning every race or every second race. I mean, because when you get to, you know, the age of Melandri, you know, he's in his uh, mid-30s now, you don't race because you enjoy riding as much as you, you race because you enjoy standing on that podium and getting the result. Aprilia have got a lot of work to do to get that bike anywhere near the front. And just imagine the millions and millions and millions of dollars that Ducati have spent on that uh, on the GP15 to get it up to where it is now. Like, they have an unbelievable amount of money um, testing all over the place, two or three different test riders, at least once or twice a week they're out on that uh, Ducati testing it at Mugello or Jerez or all around the you know the world basically and probably just don't have that budget so to go to MotoGP and expect to do well, even when you bring a brilliant rider like Marco Melandri it's a bit of a pipe dream Well Steve, if you remember, here in the US we had a dog get on the track during MotoGP and the joke in the paddock was even the dog was faster than the Aprilia how long is this going to last? <laughs> Um, it's, um, you know, I mean, Aprilia have been mucking around in MotoGP on and off for a lot of years now, and I guess their heart is in MotoGP. They used to win every 250, you know, when we had two-stroke 250s. They, yeah, they used yeah. to win. And um, now they want to 
get back and win again. But it's going to last until they get a massive sponsor. I mean, let's remember that Ducati, um, uh, so like you know, they got all their money from from Marlboro, uh, basically. Uh, you know, cigarette sponsorship. Uh, the bikes are still, you know, color that color more or less. So perhaps they're still getting money. I don't know, but um, you know, until I get the money and really put in a massive effort and change the bike from the road bike completely, they're going to be, you know, down the back. I do know that if anybody can make it work, it's Marco Melandri. I didn't expect them to see them so far back because even the uh, the ART bikes from uh, you know a couple of years ago weren't right at the back. So it's quite surprising to me that the factory effort is where it is. So i got to ask you, being a former Ducati rider, Ducati is looking strong. We just talked about that. What rider needs to be on that to give them consistency on the podium? One of the top four guys, to be honest. I mean, Davizioso is a great rider, but um, even when he was on, you know, when he was on the factory Honda as the third rider, if you remember, maybe five years ago, he was always the third Rexall Honda um, or the second, you know, you know with Crutchlow. If you want to win, you need one of the top four guys. You need to have, um, you know, a Marquez, a Pedrosa to get, you know, I don't think Pedrosa's ever going to win you a championship, but, you know, he, he knows how to win races. You need to get somebody that has won races and is still winning races. And, I mean, the problem is, is that those guys command a massive amount of money, a massive wage, and to get them to go to the Ducati, um, you know, they tried it with Valentino Rossi, but he went at the wrong time. He went when Ducati uh, were stubborn, Italians were stubborn, they have it in their head that, uh, you know, oh, this is the way we're going to do it, and we're not going to change it. Well, something had to change, and they got bought in the... Um, Delinia from Aprilia, and he said, well, I'll come, but you let me do what I want to do to make this thing win. Delinia's come in and changed the bike around radically, and now it's starting to win. Now's the time that they needed Rossi. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, because I watched Jerez with great interest, because everybody uh, was talking about Marquez is 30 points behind Rossi, Rossi trying to take the advantage. No one was talking about Dovi having had two second places and only six points off Rossi. And then Dovey goes straight out, having had not a great qualifying, but then overkills it into the last turn, goes all the way down to 25th place, recovered to ninth, I may add, got some decent points. But you wonder now what Crutchlow, who's had a podium and a fourth place, could do if he were on the... So they've lost Rossi and Crutchlow because they were there wrong time, wrong place. Well, Crutchlow could have still been there if he basically, you know, sucked it up if he kept his mouth shut. You can't go bagging factories and stay there. Do you know what I mean? Like, Crutchlow's, you know, great bloke, and he's very outspoken. And, um, you know, he couldn't hold his emotion in and, and say, oh, yeah, you know, the Ducati's a great machine, or, you know, he always says what he thinks without thinking, basically. And I guess that lost him you know, the, the opportunity to ride the GP15 and giving it to Inoni. And, I mean, Inoni's a, a, you know, a good rider, but you know, he's not a, a Valentino Rossi or, a, you know, one of the top guys. He's, he's one of the crop of good Italian young riders coming through trying to make it, but he doesn't have that super special, you know, will to win. Otherwise, he would be winning like Marquez because I think that the Ducati is good enough to win a race now. Do you think the Honda that Crutchlow is on is, is good, though? 
I think I think Crutchlow's Honda is a good bike, but I don't think it's the same as Marquez's bike exactly. You know, at the start of the year it may well have been, but the factories always have something a little different up their sleeve to make sure that they've got one or, one or two tenths per lap uh, up their sleeves because their sponsors demand to win. It doesn't look good for the factories when the privateer bike beats the factory bike week in, week out because the sponsors, you know, they don't like that. So that's why um, in MotoGP particularly, you do get that. You get um, an A-level bike and a B-level bike, and the guys that ride the B-level bikes know that. I mean, Eugene Laverty knows that. You know, he's on an open Honda. He knows that. You know, it's impossible for him to beat Marquez. Perhaps in the rain, maybe, but not in the drive because there's just too much speed difference between the bikes. And what I mean by that is that, you know, um, if the lap time around the track is one minute thirty. Marquez will be doing one minute 30 on his bike. If he stepped off it and got onto Labdi's bike, he'd be doing one minute 30.8, riding the same. There's just that much difference in the bike. I want to change subjects a little bit. Uh, this is something that Les brought up, but it, it's relevant because um, he was asking me about the differences between the championships. I'm doing Moto America, and, and obviously the Yamaha, the new Yamaha R1 is going good. We've just been talking about, you know, Jorge Lorenzo's just come off a MotoGP victory and Valentino's leading the championship. So Yamaha are, are king at the moment, uh, kind of across the board. But you, what was your... Yeah, what I was curious about is when you look at these bikes in each of the different series, how do the Yamahas of one series match up against the Yamahas of another series? Does especially that cross-pollinate, especially amongst the factory bikes in World Superbike, for instance? Yeah, well, different championships have different rules, and the rules are continually changing now. Um, due to the fact that we basically don't, we haven't had cigarette sponsorship now for 20 years, but what happened was that the, let's start off with, first of all, MotoGP. Um, MotoGP bike is a bike that uh, there is no budget limit. It is what it is. You know, if it costs a million dollars to make a nut for the rear wheel, they do it. World Superbikes. Um, when they had uh, cigarette sponsorship, the rules were quite liberal, quite open, and you could change a lot of stuff inside the engine. Um, um, and then what happened was we didn't have that money anymore to do all that. So that what they did was, over the last couple of years, they've been knocking the rules back and saying you have to use a lot more standard material inside the engines and the chassis. Um, I mean... To be honest, it wasn't legal, but a lot of the bikes in World Superbikes used to have illegal frames, you know, factory-made frames, um, stuff like that. It's not, it's not legal, but they did it and they got away with it. Now, um, there's, it's a lot stricter. They check a lot more thoroughly, so they will have to use the standard frames. Um, they have to use standard crankcases, um, stuff like that. So although it is still a, a step above the World Superbike, it's mainly a step above in the electronic department. I'm not completely familiar with the rules in Moto America, but generally what you get now is a race bike in your national national championships is a bike that's a lot closer to the road bike uh, so that your average um, Joe Blow can afford to race it. So you might start off with a road bike, put some bearings on it, a rear shock, um, change the internals and the front forks, um, perhaps have the standard brakes or aftermarket brakes um, in Australia at standard brakes. Um, and you get a bike that's maybe a second a lot slower, uh, but it's a lot, lot cheaper. 
then um, you know then you're well super by bike. So in the national championships, they generally try and keep the bike a lot more like the the current road bike. In the world superbike and MotoGP, it's you know whatever, money's not a problem. Yeah, I've been lucky. I've ridden the new R1 a fair bit now. I rode it around um, Eastman Creek, which is a track down here. We used to have MotoGPs at at the at the world launch. I was actually riding around with the um, American journalists. They were here at the same time. And then I got to ride it up at Morgan Park as well, up in Queensland, um, at the Australian Superbike Championship round, where I also got to pillion. Um, a few people around the track on that bike as well. So it's um, you know I've had a lot of experience two up uh, and single uh, on the bike with the, the standard tyres, um, Bridgestone sleeps we had on it at one point, and then also the, the Dunlops which we were using there as well. So uh, it's um, you know it's a very good machine. It is. It's, it's not a you know I'm not going to say that it's better than anything else out there, but it's a it's equal to the best now. So, um, you know, if you buy a Yamaha, you can win races. Whereas in the national championships, that had been a little bit hard with the old model. But the new model, right up there, um, if you're into electronic wizardry, this is the, the bike for you because everything is adjustable. It's interesting. Hey, another another yeah. really neat thing, just to cut you off, a really neat thing with the new Yamaha is you can actually, if you've got an iPad, you can download the app. Everything's about apps now. You can sit in your lounge room, set your settings up, then um, Wi-Fi it or um, onto your bike or Bluetooth it to your bike. So you know you don't even have to get your fingers dirty anymore. It's incredible. Well, I was about to say the evidence of that is in our Moto America Championship, where we have uh, effectively the super stock class racing with the super bike class, and our good friend Josh Day already took victory uh, the last time out at uh, Road Atlanta in race one for the Superstock class, finishing fourth overall. So that pretty much tells you. And that was his first time out on the bike, so not bad. No, that's, uh, that's impressive. I mean, if you grab a, you know, a world-class rider like Josh Day, put him on that machine, he's only going to improve because uh, there is one thing for sure, there's a lot left in the Yamaha. It's at the start of its development. Uh, and they normally, you know, if you look at the history of all motorcycles, the second and third year is generally when they improve even more because you know, right now it's so new on the market. There's no spare parts for it, no hot up parts, no anything. So, um, yeah, expect big things from the MR. So I understand that retail price here, stateside, is around seventeen thousand dollars. But what's the difference between these two models, the R1 and the R1M? The M model is basically got the really trick old suspension. That's the major difference. Um, so the suspension is also electronically activated. Um, so it's um, a lot more technically advanced in the suspension side of things. There's a few carbon bits on it and a few little extra bits and pieces that you get that you can buy as an, as a, an option for the standard machine. So uh, if you were going to race it, that is probably the one that you'd start off with. I've got to ask you a question. Obviously, our good friend Troy Bayliss is heading over here to do some flat track racing. And I just wonder... I, I think everybody's kind of astounded that he's doing that. They've just seen him out in Thailand and in Australia racing world superbikes at 45. Um, but I think you can give us a bit of a, an insight, if you like, how he'll get on doing flat track. And I mean, he's not just doing it for fun. He's going straight into the national championship at Bloomfield. Yeah, I mean, that's Bayless um, going at the top. And, uh, you know, he's always been a guy that makes the most of his opportunities. I mean, um, 
from the first time it happened uh, was at World Superbikes on a standard Suzuki, you know, Australian spec Suzuki. He, he finished in the top five, uh, which you know got the eye. He rode an RGV 250 MotoGP bike at Phillip Island once again. On a, you know, the bike was doing nothing, but he nearly put it on the podium. That got him a ride in England on a bike that was, you know, on bikes that aren't the best. He can make an opportunity. But the biggest one that he did was um, as a reward for winning the championship. Ducati gave him a ride in MotoGP at uh, Valencia. He won the race. So I'd be a bit worried if I was the the local guys um, at Bloomfield right now, because Father Saint going there to, to wave at the crowd. They might not even know who he is. But you believe me that uh, he'll make sure that that bike is set up right, and uh, he's probably done a million laps uh, up there in Queensland where he lives, making sure that everything's good. And, and uh, I mean, he is uh, the national flat track champion in Australia, so that's no mean feat, given that Speedway is king and that Australia's produced probably in the last ten years six world champions. Yeah, I mean, basically, that's what you know. That's what we do down here when we get bored. We flat track. You know, we do it a little bit differently to the American guys, but um, yeah. What's the difference? Oh well, the difference is, is that um, you know you have your you know your, your big mile tracks and, and all that. We we're more grass track and speedway down here. Um, so you know, obviously, we don't have the money to make the tracks. It's not as big over here, infrastructure-wise, which means that the tracks are bumpier. The tracks are not as well groomed, um, which means that perhaps, which is why we've become good road racers, perhaps you have to have that little extra edge because, you know, there's bumps there that might not be there on the American scene, if you know what I mean. What are your thoughts, uh, finally, on uh, World Superbikes, Moto America? You know, you've seen a little bit of that going on, obviously. Let's just start with Moto America. Obviously, the R1, as you've just been talking about, it is a missile both as a super bike and a super stock bike, uh, it looks as though Josh Hayes is going to have his hands full. But the idea of Moto America is to develop someone like Cameron Bobier to go world championship racing. I mean, uh, do you see some somebody like Bobier making it? Yeah, I do. He needs more competition than just his teammate, though. That's the problem that we're facing here in Australia and also over there at the moment. Um, so I think that he's a real big talent. Is uh, Bobby A, and um, I'm really looking forward to you know seeing him on the international scene. I mean, I remember Hopkins when he came out from over there. Or, uh, perhaps the racing was a bit tougher back then. Uh, I don't know, but um, you know he, he was able to make it, and I'm sure that uh, Cameron Bobby A is going to be able to do that as well. I mean, I mean, how old is uh, Josh Hayes now? Forty. Yeah. So I mean. What he needs to be right I mean, what Bobio needs to be racing against, and this is nothing against Josh Hayes because like, he's a brilliant rider and he still is, but uh, he would have to admit that he's not as fast now as he was when he was 35. Um, you know, Bobio needs to be racing against 10 or 15 guys that are, you know, 20 to 35 with the same equipment. Um, that to really see where he is at, and that's that. That's what these guys face nowadays when they race at home, if, he, if Bobby has a bad day, he's going to finish second. But as we know from doing World Superbikes, Jonathan, if you go to World Super Stop and um, you know you get, what, 25 guys within two tenths of a second? So if you have a bad day, you're 25th, you're not second. So that's, that's why Moto America and also the Australian Superbike Championship um, are working as hard as we can to increase the competition and also make the bikes more level, at least in our uh, scenario uh, over here 
um, so that uh, you know that these young guys like Cameron Bobier can be more prepared when they get over there. Let me ask you this, since you've been on all the continents watching these, these national series, how competitive do you see the racers from the different continents? Well, it's not so much different continents. It's, it's um, periods of time. Like, you know, in the 80s, America was the place to be. I mean, you had guys like Kevin Schwantz, Eddie Lawson, um, uh, Wayne Rainey, you know, like... My God, I would, have, I would have not want to have been racing the American Championship back then because, you know, Fred Merkel, you know, like, you had the ingredients to create brilliant riders. It's very rare that a brilliant rider is formed by being one of, because you sort of, like, get to a level, and then you don't have to improve, so you sort of, like, stagnate at that level. Um, uh, Australia, we had a similar period um, yeah. also in the 80s and 90s with, uh, you know, Gardner, McGee, um, you know, guys like that that also went on to Mick Doohan, you know, uh, all came through the national championships when it was extremely strong. But then things drift in and out. Um, right now, I think America's probably not as strong as it was in the 80s or 90s. Um, but, you know, everything goes in cycles, you know, like it goes like that. So um, hopefully Cameron Babiez on the you know on the up and up, and in a couple of years, uh, especially with the Moto America with Wayne Rainey behind it, um, you know the championship is going to blossom. Well, listen, Steve, great to talk to you. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, listen, we'll keep going, we'll keep talking. Uh, Imola's coming up. Who's going to win Imola for World Superbikes? Jonathan Ray. I know. wasn't the, wasn't the tough question, was it? it. All right, two other questions. Really, no, what's I happened mean, to our mate Sykesy? What's happened to the world champion Guintoli? Uh, Jonathan Ray and Jonathan Ray. Basically, it's simple because um, Jonathan Ray um, got on the Kawasaki and uh, just showing what it can do now. And, um, you know, Sykesy was doing a really, brilliant job. But for one reason, I mean, we've all, always known how good Jonathan Ray was. He made that Honda look sensational. He rode above its capabilities for many, many years. And um, the next question was, why is Sylvain Gintoli doing what he's doing? Because Jonathan Ray left the Honda and he got on the Honda, basically. That's why. So, um, I mean, Gintoli's um, gone from riding the best bike in the paddock to riding not the best bike in the paddock. And... Um, it's going to be a difficult year for him. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Good to hear from you, Steve, always. Keep coming on the show, and oh. uh, we'll see you next time. Okay, look forward to it. Speak soon. Thanks, bud.